So today, we're going to continue our series, Liberty in Jesus, from the book of Galatians. And the title of my sermon, if you're taking notes, is this, On Which Mountain Will You Stand? On Which Mountain Will You Stand? We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 21 of Galatians 4. But before we read, as you're turning there, I'm just going to give you a little introduction. You know, the interesting thing about mountains is that they've always fascinated human beings. Mountains, um, it could be the fact that they're challenging to ascend. It could be just the, the challenge of the task at hand to climb a tall mountain and reach the peak. Or it could just be the beautiful majesty that they give to our landscape. And we know that we enjoy that every day here in Candler, North Carolina. And when you think of Candler in general, you can't help but think about Mount Pisgah. You know, Mount Pisgah is that mountain, that representation really of where we live. You can't think of Candler without thinking of Mount Pisgah. They are one and the same. And Pisgah is representative of our community. Mount Pisgah is 5,721 feet above sea level. You can't mistake it when you look at the skyline around our town because it's got the tall tower on the top of it. Mountains are always, are and always have been representative of places, events, and people. We always go to Mount Everest. We think about Mount Everest because Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world above sea level. It's actually 29,032 feet above sea level, which would be several miles tall. 6,014 different people have climbed Mount Everest and reached the summit, and that was as of December 2021. So you think, of all the years that people have been hiking Mount Everest, only 6,014 have actually reached the summit. It's so high up that many times people have to wear oxygen because the air is so thin at the top. There have also been numerous people who have died trying to ascend Mount Everest. And you say, why? Why in the world will people give their lives just to reach the top of a mountain? Because of the challenge, because of the majesty that mountains give. It's, they're a gift from God, really. Um, I've been out west, and I've seen the Grand Tetons, and I've seen the Rockies. I've been in the Rocky Mountains National Park, um, and it's just amazing. No matter what mountain it is, no matter what it looks like, even in Malawi, Malawi had um, very tall mountains. And although they all look different, they all have the same majesty. It's just really, I think, it brings you to a realization of how great our God is and that he could create such massive um, works of art, and beautiful works of art. So um, there was actually a man, his name is Kami Rita Sherpa, and he is from Nepal. He holds the world record for reaching the summit of Mount Everest 24 times. So he has climbed that mountain 24 times. So as we think about mountains, that's really what I want us to focus on, because here in the scriptures, Paul uses mountains in order to represent the two different covenants that we've been talking about. So as you found your place, if you will, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 21, and we're going to read through verse 31, okay? So you can read along with me, beginning in 21. Tell me who... I'm sorry, tell me you who want to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem 
for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for its power. Thank you for its truth. Lord, as we stand on the foundation of your word, we know that it is absolutely true, that it is not partially true, and that it doesn't just contain truth, but that it is truth in its entirety. Lord, we know that the Holy Scriptures are inspired uh, men of old to write by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that when we read the Bible, we're reading your words. And Lord, I pray that we would take them to heart and use them. I pray that you would convict us and strengthen us and encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to talk about two different mountains today. And these two different mountains represent two different covenants. So if you're taking notes, write down this, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. That's the first mountain that we're going to look at. And we've actually got a picture here of Mount Sinai. As you can see, there is a monastery there at the base of the mountain. And this is the mountain that is traditionally thought of to be the Mount Sinai of the Bible. Now, no one knows 100% sure if this is the mountain, but it is traditionally believed that this is indeed the Mount Sinai of the Bible. It is in the south-central part of the Sinai Peninsula in an area that is governed by Egypt. The mountain today is called Jebel Musa, which means the mountain of Moses. It has an elevation of 7,497 feet above sea level. And in A.D. 530, St. Catherine's Monastery was constructed at the foot of it, the northern foot of the mountain. And at the peak, you'll find a Christian chapel and an Islamic mosque. So this is the first mountain that we're going to see, and we're going to understand that Paul uses Mount Sinai, a mountain, a geographical location to represent one of the covenants in Scripture. And we're going to see that it is the covenant of the law that he uses Mount Sinai to reflect. And I think that's very fitting considering when you go back into the Old Testament, you find that as the children of Israel were freed from Egyptian slavery and they crossed the Red Sea, uh, I'm sorry, before they crossed the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness, God brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God called Moses up to the peak of for 40 days. And that is where he gave him the law of God. That is where he gave him the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And that was the beginning of the covenant of the law, that covenant that God went into with the nation of Israel. So here we have that illustration. Now, in verse 21, Paul asks a very um, penetrating question. And what he says is this, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Now, if you're on Facebook or Twitter, if you're on one of those social media platforms, hopefully you've not done this, but if you have, you are as guilty as these Galatians. But what he's basically saying here is he's saying, have you not read the law? Have you not read it? Are you going to say that you're going to base your entire salvation and your eternity on keeping a law that you've not even read and that you don't even fully understand? How many of us repost or share articles or stories that we never read? 
We see the title, we're like, man, that sounds like a good political statement I can make. I'm going to share that. We'll come to find out later on, it actually proved against the point you were trying to make because you didn't read it. It was just a catchy title, right? Well, sometimes you got to read what you're trying to share so you can fully understand it. And evidently, the Galatians weren't fully understanding what they were signing up for. These Judaizers who were coming into these churches in Galatia were saying that you need to live by the law and trust Jesus in order for you to be saved. But then we understand that the scriptures tell us that if you're going to keep the law, you must keep it fully. And if you fail in just one part of the law, you become guilty of the entire law. You have offended the entire law. And Paul's saying, you've not really thought this through. You're not really truly logically thinking about what you're signing up for. Now, as we read this scripture, I want to be very careful to bring you to this event that Paul is referring to. He's talking about these two different women. He's talking about this woman of slavery, this woman who was a slave, and he's talking about this free woman. When we go back into the Old Testament, we find that Abraham and Sarah had no children, that Sarah was barren and she couldn't have children. And actually, she was pretty far up in age, really beyond the age of childbearing years. And God comes Abraham's way one day and he says, Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless the world. Through your seed, I'm going to make a great nation that is innumerable. And we even find that Sarah and Abraham even thought at times that that was humorous. Like, come on, you know, we're, we're in our 70s and 80s. Really? We're going to have a baby? And, but God made that promise to them. And time went on, and evidently the timeline that God had set out didn't match up with Abraham and Sarah's preference or with their timeline. So Sarah concocted a plan one day, and of course Abraham went along with it like a lamb being led to the slaughter, like a lot of us men do, right? And he, he followed her plan, and she said, Abraham, listen, I'm old. I'm not going to have a baby. Let's just be honest. Why don't you marry my slave, Hagar, and have a baby with her? Then that way you can have an heir, an heir of your own blood, and then that way we can move forward in our life. That way we can seal the deal with our life and we don't have to leave our inheritance to someone who's not part of our family. So, of course, Abraham jumps all over that and they have a child named Ishmael, okay? And Ishmael is the product of that decision of Hagar and Abraham sleeping together. So then we have this child and then comes the promise, the promise that God had already made, the promise that Abraham and Sarah had chosen not to believe, and Sarah becomes pregnant, and she has the child, gives birth to the child at 90 years of age, known as Isaac. So Isaac is the child of the free woman. Ishmael is the child of the slave woman. And here in verse 22, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, which would have been Ishmael by Hagar, and the other by a free woman, which would have been Sarah and Isaac. Verse 23, But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. So here, as he's referring back to this event, he's not trying to make some mystical connection with these two events. Yes, there was a historical, factual event that took place where Hagar gave birth to Ishmael and Sarah gave birth to Isaac. This is not mystical in any way. But what he's saying is, is he's saying there is a similarity between that event and what the point that he was trying to make about the two different covenants. He's saying the covenant of law is represented by Hagar and Ishmael. The covenant of grace or the covenant of the promise is represented by Sarah and Isaac. 
And what he's saying here is that um, Ishmael was born of the flesh. In other words, Ishmael in verse 23 was born by human means. It was by human decision or human wisdom. And what he's saying is, is that Abraham and Sarah usurped God's promise. They said, God, you really can't handle this like you say you can. So here, we're going to help you out, God. We're going to go ahead and get this baby here. We're going to go ahead and get the bun in the oven. And we're going to get the baby here because we don't really believe necessarily, God, that you can do that. And what he's saying is, is that's representative of the covenant of the law. It's representative of these Judaizers and the people in the churches in Galatia who actually thought that they could usurp the grace of God and they could somehow be good enough in their own power and their own resourcefulness and that they could find their own righteousness. He's saying it's absolute insanity. When the God of glory, the God of creation, made a promise that a child would come and yet you chose to disbelieve God's promise and do something on your own. We really see there's two worldviews at play here. And what a worldview is, is it's a filter that exists in your mind. And you have it, whether you know you have it or not. But in other words, anytime your senses pick up information, the information goes through this filter, this worldview filter that you have. And your worldview is made up of maybe how you were raised, the experiences that you've had in your life, your faith, what you know to be true. And then that's how you react to the information that you hear is based upon your worldview. Well, here we have two different worldviews. Number one, we have the worldview of Ishmael. Ishmael and Hagar. Ishmael, the one who came about by sin. Ishmael, the one who came about by human means. And on the other side, we have the worldview of Isaac, the one who came by the promise of God, the one that believed because God said it would happen, it happened. Verse 22, we find the nature of, of the two covenants. We find that the one covenant, the covenant of the law, is referred to as a slave. That she was, his Ishmael, I'm sorry, was the son of a slave woman, and Isaac was the son of a free woman. Again, these two worldviews are at play. Here we have the worldview that humanity can do good, that humanity can achieve righteousness, that humanity can be good enough to be what God expects. On this side, we have that humanity cannot achieve what God has set out in his perfect standard, except by his grace, except by the power that he gives us through his son. The means of the two covenants we find in verse 23. The one covenant, the covenant of the law, was of the flesh. It was achieved by human interaction, by human ability. And then the other, the, the covenant of grace, the covenant of promise, was through the promise. Now, what makes a promise so wonderful? Well, if a promise is, is a wonderful promise, it's wonderful because of the person who's making the promise. You know, if certain people make me a promise, I may or may not believe it because they don't have a really good track record of keeping their promises. But here's the thing that Paul's trying to communicate. He's saying that God promised that he would give Abraham and Sarah a child from the womb of Sarah. And when God makes a promise, you can engrave it in stone. God's got a perfect track record. He can't lie. He never breaks his promises. So which family are you going to be a part of? Which woman do you want your mother to be? Do you want to be the child of a slave who, who banks the future who banks eternity on their own goodness and their own abilities? Or do you want to be a child of the free woman 
who's free not because of their goodness, but free because God made a promise and he kept the promise. Hey, I don't care what day of the week it is. I don't care what time it is. I'm going to go with God's promise every single time. Because if I forsake the promise of God and his perfect track record for my own abilities, listen, I know how consistent I am. I know how great my abilities are. And I promise you, I'll fail every time. So what he's saying is, he's saying, have you lost your mind, Galatians? You have forsaken the promise of the king, the one who never lies, for your own abilities and for your own righteousness and for your flesh, for your ability. It's crazy. Verse 24, we find the location of the two covenants. Here we see that Mount Sinai is mentioned in connection with the covenant of the law. And I will mention the mountain or the location of the covenant of grace here in just a minute. And then in verse 24, we have Hagar and Sarah. Again, two conflicting worldviews. Verse 25, we see the present Jerusalem. And then in verse 26, we see the Jerusalem above. The present Jerusalem being this life, the here and the now, the physical world. The, the Jerusalem above being the heavenly Jerusalem. The, the heaven that only those who come by the grace of God will ever enter. The one that you must be born again in order to enter. And it is evident that Hagar and Ishmael represent a birth that is similar to man's way. Do you remember what we talked about, the, the religion of humanism? It shows self-effort and righteousness by works. In Hagar and Ishmael, we see legalism exemplified. So here we have Mount Sinai. And my question for you this morning is, which mountain are you going to, are you going to stand on Mount Sinai? Are you going to stand on the mountain and are you going to be a child of the slave woman? Are you going to be the child of the woman who had her child by human wisdom, by the works of mankind, by our own abilities? Or today, are you going to stand on a different mountain, the mountain whereby you are a child of the free woman? And the reason that you are a child of the free woman is not because of your own smarts or your own intelligence, but because of the goodness and the grace of God. Which mountain will you stand on today? And that mountain, the covenant of grace, is Mount Moriah. So if you're taking notes, write that down, Mount Moriah. And we have a picture of Mount Moriah there on the screen. Now, Mount Moriah is also known as the Temple Mount. Even some call it Mount Zion. But here, Mount Moriah is probably the most hotly contested piece of property on planet Earth. Also, probably the most valuable piece of property on planet Earth. Um, this is the site of all of Israel's temples from the past. Solomon's temple, the post-exilic temple of Nehemiah, and even Herod's temple stood on this very same place. Currently, there are several Islamic holy sites on this 37-acre tract of land known as the Temple Mount, including the Dome of the Rock. So when we see verse 26, it talks about this Jerusalem above that is free. And it says, she is our mother. And then in verse 27, we see a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54. And what Paul is doing is, is he's using this scripture from Isaiah and applying it to Sarah's condition. He says this, rejoice, childless woman, Unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now we go back to that promise that was given to Abraham. God comes to a man and a woman who had no children, who were up in age, 
who could not have children, who had tried to have children and were barren. And he makes this promise to Abraham and says, your seed will be as the sand of the seashore in number and as the stars of the sky in number. And you can imagine that that would be very difficult to receive. That would be very illogical. That would be very anti-human wisdom. But remember, when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. And here we have a woman who was barren, but yet her children will be more than those who were able to conceive. Verse 28, now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now we think about Isaac. Isaac was that child that God had promised Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was that child that they had longed for that she gave birth to when she was 90 years old. And the reason I bring up Mount Moriah here as a symbol of the covenant of grace is because the first time we hear about Mount Moriah, it involves Isaac. And Abraham had been commanded by God. God said, Abraham, take your one and only son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me there. Well, for, for one, that was the child that God had given them, and now God is asking Abraham to give him back, to kill him, to destroy him. Well, Abraham makes the statement to Sarah as they're about to leave. He said, the child and I will return to you. When they get on the donkey, they begin to ride up to Mount Moriah. And Isaac makes this comment. He says, Dad, he said, we've got the wood. We've got everything we need for the sacrifice except for the sacrifice itself. And then Abraham says, well, son, God will provide the sacrifice. So they get up to the altar. Abraham ties his son down, bounds him up, and begins to pull a knife out and bring it down on his son's throat and shed his son's blood. And Abraham is going to do it. Abraham is fully committed to God. And Abraham is about to come down on his son with that knife blade, and it says the angel of the Lord stopped him. And God told him, he said, Abraham, I now know you trust me. I know that you fully obey me. Don't do this to your son. And then, the most significant part of the entire story, you hear this rustling in the briar patch, in the thistles. And there's a ram caught by its horns in the thistles. So then Abraham goes over there and he pulls the ram out of the thistles and he offers that ram on the altar to God. And see, Abraham the whole time knew that God would provide a sacrifice. The Bible even says that Abraham's faith was so strong that Abraham believed that even if God had allowed him to kill his son, that God would have raised his son from the dead because of the promise he made. Because the promise that through the seed of Abraham, communicated through Isaac, and on down the line, that the world would be blessed. And Abraham believed that promise so much that he believed no matter what happened that God would keep that promise. Hey, today, a lot of us have to answer the question, which mountain are we going to stand on? Are you going to stand on Mount Sinai under the slave master of the law? Under you trying to be good enough? Under you trying to, to be something you're not? And you trying to stress yourself out all the time to be good enough? Or are you going to go over here and are you going to stand on Mount Moriah where Jesus died in your place, where God did provide a sacrifice? God did provide a lamb on Mount Calvary, and that was through his son. And God, God communicated to us, listen, I know you can't keep the law. I know you can't be good enough, so I'm going to give my son for you. And my son's righteousness and my son's goodness 
is going to allow you to fulfill the law. Today, guess what? We're holy before God. In God's eyes, if you know Jesus and you have accepted Christ based upon his death, burial, and resurrection, you are not an offense to God anymore. You are fulfilling the law perfectly. And the Bible teaches us that one day we will stand before God and we will be able to get into heaven because of the blood of Jesus. Today, maybe you've been standing on Mount Sinai for too long. Maybe there was a time in your life where you got saved, but you've reverted back into this legalism that keeps pulling you into this self-destructive mode of trying to be good enough and holding yourself up to these crazy standards that you're never going to be able to fulfill instead of you just resting in the grace of Jesus. You just loving Jesus and being in a relationship with him. Hey, listen, today I hope you didn't come to church because you're trying to make God love you more. I hope you came to church because you love him and just because you want to be with him and his people. I hope that you don't sin just because you're afraid you'll go to hell. But I hope that you don't sin because you love Jesus and you don't want to hurt his feelings. Listen, it's about that relationship that comes with him. And that can only come through the promise, the grace, the beautiful illustration that comes from Mount Moriah in that God provided a sacrifice. Hey, he did that through his son Jesus today. Let's pray.